Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. It's a parallel account of what we read a little bit while ago. While you find your place, let me uh, thank the elders there for the invitation to preach. This is a uh, very unique experience for me. I have been preaching for over over 35 years, I guess, and I've never started to preach at 9.30 at night. So you won't have any problem, I'm sure, staying awake, but I might. Glad to be here, though, with you to open up the Lord's Word. Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. Let's actually back up to verse 10. Uh, you'll get a little bit of what we read earlier. Just want you to get the flow of the passage. Matthew 12, verse 10. Let's hear the Lord's word. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you? that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all, and charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive, nor cry. Neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Amen. The Lord bless the reading of his word for his name's sake. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Let's ask the Lord for his, his help tonight. Let's all pray. Our God and our Father in heaven, it is once again in Christ's name that we approach thy throne. As we approach the preaching of thy holy word, we acknowledge our weakness, our inability to bless anyone. Oh, but Lord, thou hast the power and the will to bless the preaching of thy word. May Christ and his truth in this clay pot be used tonight to be a means of instruction, enlightenment, encouragement, and strengthening of thy people. We do need, Lord, to know what it is for thee to draw close to us, and we need to draw close to thee. Make that happen, Lord, by thine own power, in thine own way. Set the heart of thy servant free to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. May the Lord receive all the glory. And we ask it in his name. Amen. And amen. Matthew 
I want to speak to you for a few moments this evening about a vital ingredient to any effective ministry. Now, you might wonder right away, why is he using the word ministry? I'm not in the ministry, you might be thinking. Well, the fact of the matter is that we all have a ministry to which the Lord has called us. The the Greek word diakonia, we get our word diakonate. Uh, deacon comes from that word. It's, it's often used, yes, in the New Testament to speak of the ministry of the apostles or the ministry of preachers, the, the ministry of the deacons in the church or the elders in the church. But the word is also used to speak of just the common ministry of the saints. And if you're a saint in the meeting tonight, then the Lord has called you to a ministry. The word simply means service. Service. And you've been given a service by the Lord. You have been called to serve him in some particular way and fashion and place. It might be at home and where the the uh, husband and wife serve each other, right? You had a ministry to your wife, husbands, and you wives have a, a ministry to your husband, a service that you are to carry out in God's will and God's way. Uh, parents have a, a ministry to their children they are to carry out. You have a, a, a ministry at your job, a ministry as you go out into the world. You're, you're there to view yourself as a servant. And what I want to deal with tonight is one of the key ingredients of any any effective ministry. We do parallel accounts we've read of the same event and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ actually gives us two indelible marks of his ministry, a very effective ministry, you'd have to say, both among saints and, and sinners. That's why it's always good, you know, to take the time to read all the accounts in the Gospels of some particular event that you get the full picture. Because if you only read, let's say you're reading through the, the book of Matthew, and if you only read Matthew's account of this scene, you would have missed an important part of the Lord's ministry that played such a critical role in the advancement of his kingdom, and that was the ordination of the 12 apostles to the ministry. Matthew doesn't have that. Mark does. An event that should be read carefully and prayerfully by any who've been called to the gospel ministry. In verses 14 of Mark 3, he says that Christ ordained 12, that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. That was the ministry, the service he appointed for them. A minister is one who has been set aside by Christ. As you look about those things that he sent them to do, he's been set aside by Christ to be much with him, that they should be with him. That's what Mark says. To be much in communion with him, to be an effective minister, to have an effective ministry, to be much in communion with him and to abide with him. That means he'll have to separate himself from the world so that he might sit daily at Christ's feet. He, he might be able to study Christ so he can imitate Christ. How can you imitate someone you don't really know? And how can you know them if you don't study them, if you don't spend time with them? 
and that he might draw from Christ the grace that he will need to do all this. Because you can't do it on your own. It's impossible. Like the apostles, the ministry has always he's been ordained to go forth to, to preach. That's his great calling. And there are many things he'll be called upon to do as a minister, but his chief responsibility is to be a preacher of the word of God, not to be a businessman, not to be an administrator, uh, not, not to be one who simply, the bulk of his time is taken up with visiting people. That he must do, but his his main calling is to preach the word of God. And although, unlike Christ's apostles, the, the, the minister doesn't have this power to heal sicknesses, he will be like Christ and go about and do good to others to help others as much as he can. He will seek to comfort those who are hurting and to give counsel to those who need direction, to be a peacemaker where there's war and to be a friend of publicans, sinners. And like these apostles, the minister will cast out devils. Unless you think I'm gone charismatic on you, that's just not so. Uh, what, what I mean is that he has that calling, that direction, that he will strive to oppose Satan and oppose Satan's works and Satan's ways. He'll be an opponent in that sense. Cast out the devil. Now, if you do this... And I could, I wish I had the time, but it's getting late by my clock here. If I had the time, I, I could take this and break it down and say, yeah, even though I've been talking about those gospel ministers, there's a way to look at all of that and say, this is what must be found even in those who are just the daily ordinary lay people, but they're ministers in the cause of Christ. It'd be true of you if you want to take the time to think about how you are to be a preacher, and you are to cast out demons, and, and you are to be much with Jesus Christ, so you can be effective in whatever ministry the Lord has, has placed you in. Now, if you do this, any man does this, it won't make him popular, but he's not looking for popularity. He's not looking for people to praise him. He's not looking for man to say to him, well done, good job. What he wants to hear is the well done Thou good and faithful servant from Jesus Christ, his master. He's the servant of the master. And the long story short is that Christ's ministry was so effective. One of the fundamental features of his effective ministry was that of humility. He said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. I came to be a servant of my people, humble, meek, and lowly. It's one of the key factors of why his ministry was so effective, why the publicans and the sinners flocked to hear him, and why they had no time for the Pharisees. This is true of any effective ministry. but. 
There is a second characteristic in Christ's ministry that made it so effective, and that's the subject I want to take up with you for a little bit this evening. My text is found in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 12. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench. Those are words that are describing the Son of God and his ministry among men. They speak of him who is called the Prince of Glory, who is called the Mighty God, who's full of the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the one that's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah, but he's also called the Lamb of God. He's a strong lion that can tear his enemy in pieces, but he's also a lamb because of how gently he deals with his people, especially when those people are marked by great spiritual weakness. Not only was Christ's ministry marked by humility, but it was also marked by gentleness. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench. And from that text, I want to speak on the subject of the gentleness of Christ. The gentleness of Christ. I assume that you want to be effective in whatever ministry the Lord has called you to. You want to be effective in your ministry to your spouse, to your children, to your church, at your place of employment, amongst your family. You want to be effective. And you must learn this that you find in Christ. Gentleness. Not harshness, but gentleness. First, let's consider, and this is where I'll spend the bulk of my time, the objects of Christ's gentleness, the objects of his gentleness. In order to understand the nature of the Lord's gentleness in his ministry, we need to look carefully at these two metaphors, a bruised reed and smoking flax. The whole ghost is using these two these two very graphic images to describe certain kinds of christians to whom christ exercised a ministry of great gentleness of great tenderness the first thing i want to do is to give you an overview of these two metaphors and then explore them and expand upon them and see the meaning and the message they have for us today in our ministries. So let's look at them. A bruised reed. A bruised reed. The word that is used both in the Hebrew, I say Hebrew because Matthew is simply quoting a text from Isaiah chapter 42, verse 3. Same text. It's a quote from that. So the word that's used both in the Hebrew text and in the Greek refer to a, a tall, slender plant that grows in these wet marshy areas in its best state its most healthy state it is very frail and fragile as a plant it doesn't have any support to strengthen it like let's say if you i guess you've seen bamboo i don't think it grows bamboo in that part of canada or not but if you've seen bamboo it's got these rings and they strengthen that if it didn't have the rings the bamboo itself would just be flopped the, the 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 flax the 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 uh, 
this reed doesn't have that. So, so it easily, because it is so weak and fragile, it easily bends under its own weight or when the wind blows. And when the Lord then goes on to speak, therefore, of a bruised reed, it is a reed that is even in a more, in a weaker state. It's more fragile. You put all that together and you have, and using this metaphor, the Holy Spirit is describing someone who is spiritually weak and feeble. You know he's not talking about literal reeds or smoking flax. It's, it's to be understood spiritually. So someone who is spiritually very weak. You might say it describes a believer who is so easily blown about. Who finds himself easily bowed down in grief. Bowed down perhaps by people. By problems. By passions. So this could go on and on, but they weigh him down. For, for instance, Christ in Matthew 11, when asking the multitudes about John the Baptist and his ministry, he asked this question to them. What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? In other words, did you go out to see a weak, unstable, fickle man? Not on your life, he said. That was not John. He was not a, a weak reed, a frail, fragile, bruised reed at all. If we can refer, refer to the Old Testament for a moment, when Sennacherib came up against Jerusalem when Hezekiah was king, Sennacherib attempted to destroy any hopes, any confidence that the Jews there would have in defeating his army, including taking away any hope they might have of calling upon Egypt to come to their aid and to deliver them from Sennacherib. One of the things that he said to Hezekiah was this, Now behold, thou trusteth upon the staff of this bruised reed, even upon Egypt, on which if a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt unto all that trust on him. Oh, that gives the light, doesn't it? The bruised reed Pharaoh. There's the description of someone who can't be relied upon because they are a bruised reed. There's no strength. So a bruised reed speaks of a soul that is weak. Made even weaker because it has been bruised. It has been crushed by something. It's under a heavy weight that has almost crushed all the life out of it. There's yet another image that would further explain this metaphor the Lord uses of a bruised reed, why he's using it. It was the common practice of the ancient shepherds in his day to entertain themselves with the music that they could make from the hollow stem of these reeds. But when that flute, you might say, became bruised, it was no longer useful, and they threw it away. It could produce no more music. Surely that is a picture of many a child of God. Maybe it's describing you tonight. I don't know. I don't live amongst you. I'm not your minister. 
that I have to believe that if the Lord led me to preach this message, there must be at least one Bruce Reed in the congregation tonight, and I've just been describing you. There's no longer any making melody in your heart because your heart has been broken. It's filled with sorrow. You're crushed with grief and sadness. Praise is conspicuous by its absence. You've lost your song. The second metaphor is the smoking flax. The Holy Spirit is alluding to the wick of a candle or a lamp whose flame has been put out, but it still smokes. It has a little spark left, which could be blown into a flame. Many such smoking wicks can be found among the Lord's people. This is going from one bad situation to another in metaphors. It's one thing to be a bruised reed. It's something else to be smoking flax. Grace is at a very low mark in the life of a child of God in this case. They seem to give off no light whatsoever. I mean, Christians are called the light of the world. They, they, they are to reflect the light of Jesus Christ. It's, it's his light in them that should be shining out from them to this dark world and to believers in the church. But the light's really hard to see. Love. Love that's pictured by fire is going cold. The light of their spiritual life is dim. Yeah, they give off smoke. And that smoke is anything but pleasant. Christians in this state can become very offensive. I take this verse as speaking to true believers and not to lost sinners. The reed is bruised, but it's not broken. It's not useless and just cast away. The wick is smoking, but it's not gone out altogether. There is a little strength in this bruised reed, and there is a little spark, a little spark of grace in the smoking flags. Now, that can't be said of someone who is completely without any spiritual strength and absolutely has no spark of grace of God about them. But here are Christ people who feel themselves and think themselves to be, at best, a bruised reed, a feeble, shattered, useless thing, a broken pipe. They can't be tuned to make any kind of music for the Lord. The heart is at best smoking flax, where the last spark of grace seems to be about ready to go out. Now, with that overview, let's dig down a little bit deeper and see how this plays out in the lives of the Lord's people. These people he treats with great gentleness. Let's look at the weak believer as a bruised reed. What, what does this actually look like in a Christian when they're a bruised reed? 
Well, the believer in that state finds himself weak in knowledge, right? Weak in the knowledge of God, weak in the knowledge of God's word, weak in his knowledge of the gospel. All of those things, if he, if he was where he ought to be in his, in his knowledge, in his understanding, his comprehension, his grasp of, of the Lord and the Lord's word and the Lord's gospel, it would strengthen him. But when he's in this state, it's a very weak hold he has, his knowledge of God and of his word and of the gospel. He doesn't, doesn't really read his Bible that much. He doesn't really take to heart the word that is preached week by week. He's, he's lost interest. And there's always the decline. And see the, 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 see the, the, the knowledge, remember, grow in grace, Peter says in Second Peter chapter 3, last verse. So grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Should be growing, growing. That's how we can measure. Is, is our knowledge growing? But when that's not going on, there's a weakening that takes place. Always happens. So he's weak in his knowledge. He's weak in his love, and I mean love for God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Weak in his love for the saints. Whether that be the saints at church, or whether it be the saints in his own home. When there is a, a bruised reed, you're it's often the case there's a lack of love between husband and wife, a lack of love between parents and children. Talking about saints now, it's part of the weakness. Can't be strong, so it ought to be. And certainly it's going to be affected in the sense there'll be a weakness in his love for the lost. Perhaps the tendency would be, would it not, to look more upon them with disgust than it would be with pity. Well, if the Lord had looked upon the publicans and sinners that way, that's how the Pharisees looked upon them. But the Lord Jesus didn't look upon them like that. He pitied them. That's why they flocked him. That's why they thronged him. The believer is also weak in faith in this case. There's a weak hold on the Lord and a, a weak hold upon the promises. Promises perhaps he's memorized since a child, but they just seem like black words on white paper and they don't have any effect to actually calm his soul and to cheer him and to encourage him when he feels like he's so broken and so useless. They seem empty. There's a lack of confidence a lack of assurance is also flowing right from that. He's weak in hope. His hope about his future, his hope about his own soul is constantly dashed to, to pieces by fears of, of any and every kind. Jeremiah was there. Of all people, Jeremiah, the prophet. What did he say in Lamentations chapter two, my, my, or three? My hope is perished from the Lord. It's gone. You don't think we get, I, I've been here, folks. This is not theory with me. Been here. There's no hope. It's never going to get better. And that's exactly what the devil wants you to believe. 
when you're bruised and battered by whatever it's causing it, you can become very weak in hope. And when that happens, you become weak in joy. You've lost any real spiritual comfort from the gospel. You've lost the joy of God's salvation. In fact, you can't remember the last time you really felt your soul filled with the joy of the Lord. You just sort of go in and go out and do the same thing day in and day out, but joy is missing. You're a Bruce Reed. The zeal is weak. Zeal for God and zeal for his work, zeal for the interest of the Lord. You might wish it were otherwise, but like every other grace, it is weak, withered, and like smoking flax, the zeal, the zealousness is not there. Oh, along with that, of course, would be this weakness and repentance. You're troubled by a hard heart. That's certainly a sign of spiritual weakness when there is no tenderness in your own soul about your own sin or the sins of others. There's no repentance. Weak in your battle with indwelling sin. That means you're weak in resisting temptations. Well, it wasn't like that at one time. You would be tempted by the devil and you would resist him and he would flee from you. But when you are a bruised reed, it seems like that strength is gone. You're weak in courage to face the enemy. This world and your flesh and this devil. So much fear grips your heart. Of course, you're going to be weak in prayer when you're a bruised reed. Lacking in that persistence in prayer and that perseverance in boldness and in confidence in prayer. That only makes sense when your hope is weak and your faith is weak. You wonder, what's the point of praying? I'm a bruised reed. All I am is a castaway. What's God going to do with me? In short, we are weak in everything in which we should and which we could be strong. It's like the Church of Philadelphia. Christ said of them, Revelation 3, thou hast a little strength, but the bruised reed feels that he's nothing but a mass of weakness and it grieves his heart. It grieves his heart. He sees and he feels the weakness in his spiritual life. And that's important, you know, brothers and sisters. It, it is this great distinction in, in the case between the believer and the rest of the world. Right there. The lost are also weak, much weaker than the, the believer is, of course. In fact, the word of God says they are without strength altogether. But the world doesn't see or feel their spiritual powerlessness. They don't see their total inability to do anything spiritual. So there is no remorse. There's no repentance. There's no sense of their needing the Lord's 
grace or calling on the Lord for help. But, but that is not the case of the Christian who's plagued by spiritual weakness. He feels that he is a bruised, weakened reed. Am I describing you tonight? You feel this way. You should be encouraged by that. If that's describing you, listen to this. Christ will not break such a bruised reed, but he will uphold it and he will strengthen it. That's what he means when he says, I will not break the bruised reed. Quite the contrary. You may look upon your state just now as being very discouraging, but Jesus looks upon you in a far different light than you look upon yourself. I can tell you that. Christ says, I, I see, I see, I understand how you feel. You think that you are a bruised reed, and well, you are. I'm not going to break you and throw you away as useless. I'm going to fix you. And I'm going to strengthen you. Now, let's unpack what this looks like in the weak believer is smoking flax. Now we come to a darker scene, if you will. Here's the picture of grace in the life of a child of God. It's a true, sincere grace and faith, but that grace has greatly declined. It's like a candle that's just been blown out and the smoke is rising up and yet there's still a little spark on the wick. You've seen that in candles, a little spark on the wick. Wouldn't take much to put it out. Here's a picture of a true Christian in the lowest of spiritual states. This text is not dealing here with God's grace as it's found in the most advanced Christians, those we could look upon as going on with God in a wonderful way. This text is speaking about Christians who are in a spiritual state that makes you wonder if they're truly a child of God at all. But even when the child of God is found in this low spiritual state, there's a world of difference between him and the most polished and the most practiced hypocrite in three ways. While the Christian may indeed fall into such a state of spiritual apathy and hardness of heart where he has very few thoughts about spiritual things, and even then they are superficial thoughts at best. Number one, he generally feels an uneasiness, an emptiness, an anxiety within, and there is nothing in the world that can take that uneasiness and that anxiety away. Did you get that? Why why does he have this? Un I mean, he's in a low spiritual state, granted. Uh, can I stop and explain what I mean for a moment? I was saved as a boy of 12, back of a Baptist church. Struggled all throughout my high school. I went down the aisle so many times getting right with God. 
12th grade, I went out to the world for three years. I was in drugs and alcohol and the nightclubs and all, all those things. But during those three years, I had my own apartment where I could have all my pleasures. But in the daytime, when I wasn't high, I'd be walking up and down that aisle, that, 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 that hall of my apartment, walking up and down that hall because I was so miserable on the inside. I was not at all at peace within. There was an emptiness in my own soul. Oh, I was smoking flax. Anyone looking at me would say, there's no way that guy is a Christian. But I was, you see. I had no right to claim it. But it was a case where the Lord was not going to blow out the smoking flax. He would not do that to me because I was still his. And one of the things that showed that I was still his was because there was this, this little tiny spark that, that showed itself in this uneasiness and this emptiness and this anxiety about the kind of life that I was living. You know, Christless people don't have that. They might not like the effects that their life of sin is having upon them, the side effects of it. But it's not the same thing as this. Why is it there in the first place? For the simple reason that that child of God, however low in grace he may be, he has chosen God and found God to be the greatest source of his happiness. And God has chosen him. That's why he can't be just happy as a lark in his sin. Just can't happen. Oh, the grace is low, but it'll never be taken away because God is the author of that grace. And God, the Spirit, is the one who planted that grace in his soul. And it can never die out completely. That's different from the worldly. There's something else. Even when his grace is at its lowest, he cannot and will not be completely reconciled to his sins. He may well play with them at times so that it seems that he and his sins are, are, have become friends once again. But the ceasefire that he has with his sin, I will tell you one thing, is only temporary. My ceasefire was for three years. But it ended one day when God said, this is it. It's over. It's done. And when God told me that, I got up and I went to war with Satan. You see, that little bit of grace, it was still God's grace. Still God's grace at work in the heart of one who was nothing but smoking flax. There's this, there's this holy principle that God has planted in the soul of every one of his people. And it can never be eradicated. Read Romans 7 if you want further comment on that one. There's a third reason that makes it so different between the hypocrite and, and the, the polished professing Christian, who's not really a Christian at all. It's a third truth about this smoking flax. The, the child of God, who has declined so much in grace, his opposition to sin, however feeble and fickle that opposition may be at times, doesn't come mainly from a fear of God's punishing him. 
That's not mainly where it comes from. What troubles him the most when he actually sits down and, and thinks about his, his low state of grace is that he has sinned against not, not only this holy law of God, but what, what, what gets to him is that he has sinned against this unchanging and unfailing love of God for him. That's what really gets to him. I, the Lord has been so good, he says to me. And look, and look at how I'm living my life. Look how I've been grieving him. That's what grieves him. It's not the fear of punishment, really. Oh, that may play into it, but what really gets to him, he's grieved the Lord. And folks, it's only Christians who can understand that. Only a true child of God can actually be grieved by grieving the Lord with sin. That only comes true of God's people. It shows that the flame is out, yes, but that spark of grace is still there. And that little remnant of grace will only allow him to go so far from Christ. You know, one of the things I think that frustrates the devil so much is that God has this way of overruling the devil's successful, successful efforts to tempt the believer to sin and lead him away from God. The devil does. He does enjoy success with us. He does tempt us to sin. And we fall into the sin. But you know what the Lord does? It's a, it's a wonderful thing. He actually takes that very reality and uses it to bring us back to himself. Here, here the devil thought, I've got them tempted. They've fallen to sin. They're going to go away forever. But no, the Lord's grace is in the heart and he makes the child of God see, look what you've done. Look what you've done. But I'm here. Come, come to me. Come back. It is there when he is nothing but smoking flax that he finds that none but Christ can satisfy. That sin that indulging my flesh never, never satisfies. Only Christ can do that. Sooner or later, you know, the weakest Christian feels, however weak that feeling may be, that his happiness, his peace, rises and falls as he lives nearer to or farther from the Lord. That's it. Sooner or later, he gets it. The nearer I am to him, the happier I am. The farther I am from him, the most miserable I am. Now, now, perhaps, perhaps you have felt that I have described, as I've described a bruised reed and smoking flax, that I have been describing you. The Lord maybe has put his finger just on what ails you tonight. You see that you are indeed a bruised reed that's weak in so many of these areas of your life. You feel so worthless, so useless to God. You've seen yourself as smoking flax. My, how you've declined spiritually. 
You burn brightly for the Lord at one time, but now flame is gone. Then isn't the very thing you need to hear and to believe just now, simply believe when Christ said, I will not break the bruised reed, nor will I quench the smoking flax. How very gentle the Lord deals with his people. How gentle he is. He's especially gentle to his people when they are at their lowest and when they're at their weakest. You see, the fact of the matter is, brothers and sisters, and listen carefully, the Lord loves you as much when you're at your lowest as when you're at your strongest. It never changes, ever. I have a second and final point, and it'll be very brief. The nature of his gentleness. Three things. First, it's tenderness. It's tenderness. He will not break the bruised reed. He has to be very gentle in handling a reed that is bruised, knowing that if the slightest bit of wrong pressure, it will break and be useless altogether. He deals with it in tenderness. There's no harshness with Jesus Christ, you know, with his people. Oh, that we could say that. Times we husbands have been harsh toward our wives. No call for it. We've been harsh with the children when what was needed was tenderness. What was needed with the child was tenderness. The Lord Jesus Christ never, ever deals harshly with his people. It had to be, as you think about the second thing, it's touch. A gentle touch, gentle touch. I, I, I thought of the Syrophoenician woman who came to the Lord about her daughter who was grievously vexed with the devil. And you remember when she first came uh, to the disciples to ask him to let my daughter's possessed by a demon. Can you help? And they tried to send her away and she came to Christ. He answered her not a word, wouldn't say a word to her. And finally, she just falls down at his feet. Lord, help me. That's all. Lord, help me. And he goes on to talk about the dogs. It's not right to give the food on the master table to the dogs. Not fitting to do that. He's calling her a dog. Seems harsh, doesn't it? But you know, there's a something you don't see in the translation. That word dog is in, a, it's called diminutive form. And you know, he's actually saying the, the little dog, the little dog. While dogs that traveled in packs in those ancient times were viewed as, you know, the, the, the Jews called the Gentiles dogs. That wasn't the case with this little dog. Many a home had a, a little dog in it. It was a pet. It was cherished. And you might have thought that he was dealing harshly with it, but he wasn't. He was looking, you're something like a little pet, a little dog cherished, you're dear. And she got what she wanted. His touch is so tender, never harsh and hard. Finally, that gentleness, as far as its nature, is its triumph. 
till he send forth judgment unto victory. It's always going to prevail. It's always going to prevail. So at the end of this first day of the week, we ought to be enjoying much more than we are and resting on the gentleness of Jesus Christ. He will never deal with us harshly, ever, especially when we're at our weakest, when we're so fragile that it wouldn't take very much to destroy us or our, our hopes altogether. He just He's not going to deal with us like that. We therefore need to live as if, not, not as if we're headed, you know, each day, going to get up, well, I'm going to the gallows today. That's kind of how we act. I'm going to my execution. And the fact of the matter is, where we're headed is the place of our highest and greatest enjoyment, to see him and to be with him forever. That's where we're headed. That's how we need to live, one day at a time, one day at a time. And so the Lord Jesus gently calls you tonight. You're bruised, you're shattered, you're crushed, you're broken. Your grace is very low. You know what he says? Come to me. Just come to me. Bring your sins, bring your worries Bring your anger, bring your fears, bring it all. Bring your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations. Bring your failures. Just bring them to me. And I'll give you rest. I'll deal gently with you. That's something the devil will never do. He will always deal harshly with us, but not the Lord. Come to him afresh. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. I'll ask your brother to come.